sitting here with Chip DeStefano from Oliver McCracken Middle School out in Skokie, Illinois. Welcome, Chip. Thank you. And uh, this is uh, our first episode in uh, quite a while. Just got busy with the job, but um, very excited to sit down with Chip here. This is my personal professional development for the summer. I like sitting down with people that are, are fantastic at their job and, and picking their brains and uh, seeing what they can, you know, of course, uh, offer to the profession and getting a little bit of their story as well. So, Chip, welcome. Why don't we do, if you don't mind, uh, just a timeline of, of you, where you, where you started, you know, where you came from, the middle portion, where you're at now. Sure thing. Well, I, I started, my band life started in sixth grade down in uh, Killeen, Texas. Um, my band director was uh, Patrick Nault down there, and I, I vividly remember being in a beginner band rehearsal and thinking, you know what, I want to be just like him when I grow up. And so I, I kind of decided, even as a sixth grader, that being a band director was what I wanted to do. Um, maybe not a middle school band director, but I just knew that that, that early band was, was really important to me. Um, and uh, so I kind of went went through school in Texas, and then my parents ended up moving to Idaho and came to the area when I went to Northwestern. Um, and I, I really came to Northwestern to study with Frank Crisofoli. Um, as as most people in the the '90s, I went to Northwestern to be become a professional orchestral musician. Um, and then over time, it was really kind of my junior slash senior year at Northwestern. That's when when I started thinking more and more that I wanted to be a teacher, kind of going back to what I wanted to do originally as a sixth grader and. So I ended up staying at Northwestern to get my music ed degree and certification, and uh, actually student taught at McCracken Middle School and, and ended up starting there back in the, the fall of 96, uh, replacing my cooperating teacher. So that was your first job? It was my, my first job, and the way things are and looking, only job. My, it was my only job. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got, got lucky. I had a wonderful experience. Um, student teaching with Don Stahlberg. He was uh, band director at McCracken for 33 years. He's a terrific teacher. Um, really had very, very good bands. And really what he was very good at was was developing the community support and creating the culture, not just in the school, but in the entire community, that what we were doing in that class was really, really important. Um and you still you still feel it in Skokie today. He still lives in Skokie. He lives in the district, um, but you still kind of feel his presence and the influence that he had over you know several generations of of, of students and of parents and of community members. Um, and so it was really it was really easy to, to to step in there and to try to continue to build the program because the support was already there. I didn't really have to change the culture, or convince anybody that it was important that was already there because of the just incredible work that he, he had done. Do you think that's a huge advantage is, is walking in where the community already supports the program um, in terms of, let's say, funding and, and, and just overall uh, understanding what band programs are? Well, it certainly helps. And I mean, one of the hardest things to do anywhere is to change the culture. Um, and so to not really have to do that and to be able to focus on the kids and focus on the music and, and getting and just improving the program and, and trying to fulfill what vision I had for that the program at the time. Um, it was easy that that first, that groundwork was pretty much already there. Um, now in terms of, in terms of budget, you know, there wasn't much of a budget at all when I started there. Um, so, but developing that and, and getting the administration behind um, what my vision was and the funds we would need in order to fulfill that, that vision was, I think made easier because of the work that, that, Don had done there. 
Okay. Was there any um, significant challenges um, those first couple of years? You say it was it was set up pretty well. You know, you said you had to kind of you know advocate for yourself a little bit financially. But are there any examples you can think of that were you know if you look back at it, you'd say maybe I do that differently, or or this was a little bit uh, you know th- this was quite a bit of work to get this specific aspect going. I, I don't, boy, I don't even know. Um, or even if challenges are the right, is the right word. I mean, the facilities were really pretty poor um, in terms of the, the, the space we're in. The, the instrument inventory was really poor um, in terms of what percussion equipment was available and that type of stuff. Um, but, you know, I was so oblivious at that time. One, I think maybe because I was so arrogant going into that, that I could do anything. Sure. Um, but also it was just, you know, go 100 miles an hour and just keep going and keep going and keep going. And then you went home and then you woke up the next day and you went 100 miles an hour and really just kind of oblivious to all of it and just working as hard as I possibly could, trying to make it as good as I possibly could. Um and not really worrying about some of the aside stuff. So I, I don't, I'm sure there were challenges. I certainly made lots of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I didn't see them as challenges. It was just part of, part of me just getting up and doing my job and working as hard as I could. Sure. I like hearing about the oblivious part. Um, you know, where, where I'm at here at, at Joliet, there's some people that will, you know, think about how the way the community is, yeah. if, you know, it's, it's low income or it's underserved, <laughs> they'll say, um, you know, sometimes you'll get a lot of people thinking that you can't do something or as much as you want to in some other places. And um, I, I like hearing that from a veteran in the field that you were oblivious to that, um, because I think that's sometimes what we've tried to do out here, which is just be naive and oblivious but in a positive sense and just say like okay we're gonna we're gonna do this and you can you can certainly with with a lot of students will say well this is in my way or this is in my way or i don't have this but at the end of the day it's like let's just get the job done yeah you know if you don't have the facilities or the budget or the resources like you still gotta make music somehow (laughs) and it's i've never been much of a person to make excuses either and so it's just i just go it's just, I feel, you know, Steve Peterson was one of your guests earlier. One of the things he said, and I think it was, I don't know if it was a music ed class or, or I took a lot of the, the conducting classes with the conducting majors when I was getting my master's in music ed. Just his whole mantra was, you know, students are a reflection of their teacher. And that's really kind of been my, that I don't know, something with that really, really resonated with me at the time and it stayed with me over the last, you know, 20 plus years. And so I, that's just kind of how I've just gone after it. And it's just been, you know, it's it's going to be successful because of me. It's going to fail because of me. Um, and I'm just going to work as hard as I can and all that other stuff. Um, and, you know, like you, I, you know, Don Stahlberg was there for 33 years. So I replaced someone who was there for a long time, kind of an icon in the community. Yeah. And that can be a, its own challenge. Um, but I... You know, I don't know why I didn't really face much resistance because of that. I think me student teaching there certainly had something to do with it. Um, I also, I, I changed stuff very, very slowly. I didn't, the first year, it was easy because I student taught there. I knew how it was done, but I didn't change anything my first year at all. And then my second year, I started to change things little by little. Okay. Um, adding rehearsal time. You know, we was, the bands were not audition-based when I started at McCracken, so we switched to an audition-based group. Um 
And even though that first year we had auditions, the results were exactly the same as if there had not been auditions. So sure. even though we said there were auditions, I, they really weren't. It was, it was just kind of an evolution into that process, into kind of the program we've developed now. So what, um, you know, you said you changed things slowly because mm-hmm. I've always heard various, um, you know, bits of advice on decks. I've heard change things slowly. And then I've also heard just rip it off like a Band-Aid, you know, and it's just going to hurt a little bit there. Yeah. Um, so so let's hear if you wouldn't mind. You know, I, I just had a student teacher last year, that fantastic student teacher. Um, he is starting his first job. We've got, I know, a lot of younger listeners that are, are student teaching or going into their first year of teaching. Those, those first years, what are something that you think um, they should either be careful of or that they should make sure that they focus on that maybe you wouldn't expect. Oh, interesting. I, well, I, my, what I've always told people is evolution, not revolution. And I, I mean, if something is just That's going to be your tagline yeah, now for this okay. evolution, not, not revolution. revolution. I stole that from somebody too, probably Steve <laughs> Peterson. Um, you know, if there's something that's obviously not in the best interest of the kids, um, then you got to make the change immediately. But if it doesn't matter, then in the grand scheme of things, then, you know, you can probably wait and, and evolve it into what your vision is in, in terms of what you want that to be. And kind of just thinking long term. And um, boy, my first year was so long ago. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me to remember what, what advice I might want to give. How, how many years in are you? So the, this is my 22nd year. 22nd. Well, I just, just finished my 22nd year, so I'm okay. starting my 23rd year. You don't look a day over 20 years in. All right. right? I, 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 thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, I feel like I've been doing it a long time. After, after 10 years, I was like, you know, I could do this for, I can do 10 years a couple more times. That's not, sure, that's, sure. that'll be easy. And now I'm not, I'm not feeling it anymore. <laughs> but I love it. I do love it. Um, I, I think with, if you got to focus on the kids and in and every aspect, and if, if you get the kids buy-in, you get everybody's buy-in. Because if the kids are buying in, then the parents buy in. And if the parents buy in, then the community buys in, the school board buys in, the administration buys in. Um, and so, you know, the, you know, making, making decisions, every decision is what's in the best interest of the kids. And if, if that's, if that's one of the questions you keep coming back to, um, then you're going to make some pretty good decisions over the course of that first year. Um, and you know, everybody, you know, Don Casey, who was still uh, one of the music ed professors at Northwestern before he left to become Dean of the school of music at DePaul. One of the quotes that resonated with me that he said was, you know, as a first year teacher, you're not going to hit less bullseyes um, as an experienced teacher is. Um, But as you gain more experience, you're going to hit a lot less wall and and you're going to have to throw Mm. a lot less darts to hit those bullseyes. And I think that's absolutely true. Um, And if you you just go 100 miles an hour and you you give it everything you can and throw as many darts as you can, you'll hit those bullseyes um, and you'll realize what works, what doesn't work and all that type of thing. Sometimes... I mean, you know this. Our kids know this too. You learn more from making mistakes, and you don't want to intentionally oh, yeah. make mistakes, but you'll make them if you learn from them. Um, you'll get better as a teacher, and then your students will reflect that too, and they'll learn from their mistakes, and they'll get better from those too. Absolutely. So as I look at your um, resume here, 
here's here's what we've got. We've got um, in in Illinois here. We have a festival called Super State. You've appeared there uh, with the band. You have been at the Midwest Clinic 2006-2013, yep. correct? And uh, you have the Suttler Silver Cup for the program. Lots of cool stuff there. Congrats on all of that. But let's talk about the community. And, you know, you said about, you know, earlier support from the community, things like that. So what do you think uh, is important for a band program to do in the community? And I'm also asking this from pure ignorance because the high school, it's super easy for us to do community stuff. Yeah. Right. We've got we've got the marching band. We've got the pep band. Um, you know, we do some chamber groups that we will send out, for example, drum lines, things like that. So um, what do you do and, and what you're uh, in your opinion, what could you do or what should uh, directors do to gain support from their community? Well, I, I'm trying to think of some of the things that we do, and I, I don't know if it's as necessarily as, as obvious or as blatant as sending groups out, because we really don't do a lot of that type of stuff. Um, and there's there's blocks to that, right? Like our kids here have cars. Yeah. They can, <laughs> they can go and get to some of those things. I know with... Um, you know, junior high students, middle school students, that's that's not as easy for them sometimes to, you know, get transported, for right. example. Um, I think in terms of what what I've done to try to continue the community support is is in a, it just part of it is just doing my job as well as I can and developing a program that the kids love, that the kids are proud of, that they sound great. Um, so that when we do when we do perform, they sound you know, as, as good as I can get them to, to, to sound, um, and just their buy-in. So, so the, the kids are really sold. Those kids are really committed. The kids love it. And the kids are, are the advocates for the program, um, which then goes to the parents and to the administration and the school board mm -hmm. and all that type of stuff. Uh, we do perform in the community some, probably not as much as we should. Um, and, and, we should probably do a little bit more of that, to be honest. But we've done we've done things here and here. When the Skokie Fine Arts Commission asked us to have a group uh, at something, even a chamber group that doesn't exist in the school, I'll put something together. Um, sure. And particularly if 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 the requester has given us enough time to adequately prepare, if they're if they're calling a week or two beforehand, we can't put we can't do that together. But you know, the Skokie Fine Arts Commission usually gives us like six months. Yeah, yeah. So so we're able to do something. So okay. Well, let's talk, you know. You, so that didn't really answer your question. I don't know if okay. I have a very good answer for that that's question. That's right. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I just try to be the best me I can be and the kids make the kids the best them they can be. And, yeah. Well, and it, and it sounds and that, like, too, you know, the community's asking you for something. And yeah. I mean, you know, what, what I liked about your answer was that we don't have this group, but we did it. Yeah. You know, we created it because the community asked for it. They gave us enough, uh, enough lead in time. Well, for and, our, you know, our success is the, the super states, the Midwest, the, the, the local paper has been really supportive in terms of getting that out into the Skokie Review, and that certainly helps a lot. Oh, absolutely. Too. So, you know, we were just you were just talking about success with the band program, and um, you know, if you haven't heard Chip's band, go on YouTube, look up McCracken, and um, every every performance is is just phenomenal. Thank you. Um, and and of course, you know, the the big thing you know a lot of us notice is just the the intonation of it. So let's let's get technical okay. here for a minute. And can you can you tell me what your process is? for intonation you know like 
describing it to the students, exercises you might do, um, you know, what, what your barometer of success is for intonation. Sure. So it's, you know, it's really, it's really evolved over, over my career too. Um, it's always been very important. I really, to me, tone and pitch are the two most important things. Um, and really from my first starting teaching, those were really kind of my two main focuses. Um, and, and so in, in terms of like just pedagogy, you know, it just kind of spirals. So even in fourth grade, we may not get too in depth about it, but I want to make sure of a couple things by the time they're finished with me with the first year. One is they're playing with characteristic sound. Um, and that's because you can't really tune a bad sound. Um, and then the, the, one of the other things is that they can at least hear what in tune and out of tune is so that they can start to hear the, the, the beats if something's out of tune. Um, and maybe not know how to fix it, but at least recognize that they're there and to start to not like that sound. Um, and that's just as simple. I usually do it with clarinets and sometimes I'll do it in lessons. Sometimes I'll do it in a large group. It just kind of depends on the year where I just intentionally have one kid pulled out way too far and another kid pushed in all the way and just have them hear what it sounds like. And then, you know, do you hear the beats and trying to get them to hear it? Um, and then from there, just saying, all right, who's higher, who's lower? Um, and then having having the either the small group of kids or the whole ensemble kind of take a vote and then whatever they decide whatever they decide I make that adjustment so even if they decide the wrong way if they if they tell me that the kid who's lower than the other kid is the one that's too high um, I'll still pull out the lower kid and make him even lower so that they can hear the beat speed up mm -hmm. um, and so they can start to learn that there's really no wrong answer that the only wrong answer is to not do anything um, and if even if they their gut instinct tells them that it's the, the the wrong way, they'll hear that it's the wrong way, and then they can go the other way, and they're not guessing anymore. Um, so it just kind of starts with that, and just making it a priority. In in our older groups, we do a lot of um, the Remington studies, the the pivot pivot scales, going back to uh, to concert F. Um, just a lot of that in unison, and working on pitch, and working on to get it to to blend and balance, and all that sort of thing. Um, and then with with our top group, we do we still do a lot of those Remington studies, but we rotate around through a bunch of different keys, so it's not always in concert F. Sure. Um, and then a lot of chorale work with the top group, a lot of chorale work. Um, and then I, I, for me, I think the turning a couple things happened. We had had some some good success early on, and I had done a really pretty good job of getting the kids to to play unisons in tune and octaves in tunes and that kind of stuff. And, and still wasn't really kind of really happy with, with how the overall band was, was sounding. Um, why not? Because it wasn't in tune into, I mean, it wasn't in tune. I'd break stuff apart and it sounded in tune and it was, you know, it was the interval relationships weren't in tune and there was a great Cliff Colnett intonation clinic. He gave a clinic at Midwest. Um, and I, uh, I went with Don DeRoche cause his wife, Julie was playing in the orchestra. Uh, Cliff Colnott did this, uh, clinic on intonation using Chicago symphony players okay. as his demonstration group. And it was, it was, <laughs> it was absolutely incredible as, as he talked about kind of four different ways to think about tuning and the just, the just intonation, which I was aware of, of course, from my training at Northwestern, but had never really applied to my, my teaching. Um, and just then starting to do that and trying to, you know, um, let, you know, tell the kids, you know, if you have the third of a major chord, it's got to come down. If you have got the minor third, it's got to come up. 
um, and really kind of adjusting intonation, just worrying about some of the the intervals in, in terms of that, and that really kind of made it made a a, a change. Um, and then lastly, I, and I kind of credit Superstate for this. One of the things I, I started getting really frustrated with, um, and it's much better now, but back in the day, the warm-up room used to be about twenty degrees warmer than the stage. Oh, okay. Back in that in that orchestra rehearsal room, and it was the really pretty floor. Yeah, it was just hot. Yeah, yeah, it was so hot. And then so so you'd get things pretty locked in, you know, using your tuner, and then you'd go on stage and everything would be completely out of whack because the temperature had changed. Um, and I kind of, that, that kind of led me to saying, you know, it's just, this is really got to be a student responsibility. Um, and training the students to hear, training the students to make adjustments, training the students to be aware of pitch, especially be aware of everything, but really especially of pitch so that they're making those adjustments so they can make them on the fly and they don't need me like secretly pointing up or down Sure, sure. Or or anything like that <laughs> to make the adjustment that that I I trust that they're going to make the adjustment because of the training they received, um, and so it's it's kind of been a big evolution. I'm I'm probably not even aware of everything I do okay. now. Um, generally speaking, that for each group, successive group, year after year after year, but um, that that's kind of a lot of it is, is is moving the responsibility to them. Yeah. Um, which takes a lot more time. It takes a lot of time if you have something that's not locking in of just having them kind of work it out by themselves as opposed to me just telling one kid they need to come up and one kid to come down. And some of that um, is helping the kids know what to listen to. Um, and I'm just trying to think of some of the things that you say. Like if it's in octaves, you want the upper person, the person on the upper octave listening only to the lower octave. If it's two kids sitting right next to each other that are having trouble playing a unison in tune, it's getting them to listen 100% to the other person and not to themselves at all. And so they're each listening to the other person and trying to get it in. Um, in full ensemble stuff, in full ensemble stuff, they need to know their they do need to know their chord. You know what what scale degree they are in the chord so that if they are in the they are in the major third that they're able to come down. And that I don't I don't. I don't think my kids, I think if you ask my kids, I think they would know that the third of the chord needs to come down. If they were playing a chord, I don't know if they would know if they had the third of the chord. Sure. Um, but, um, so I do, I go through, sound like if we're trying to work on a chord, I will let students know which, which scale degree they have. Um, but they also, once they hear what a chord, what a chord, in tune chord sounds like, an out of tune chord sounds really bad to them. Yeah. And they, and they, they really strive to kind of, they know what the potential is. They know what they could sound like. They know what it should sound like. And so then they're able to make adjustments, even if they don't know what they are. They're able to make those adjustments to kind of get to that that sound again, that sound in their head of what it should sound like. Sure. And as a side effect, too, it's, it's, it's cool to hear that because I think whenever you're talking about intonation and chords with it, you get this... Um, theory involved with it too so if any music teachers are looking at how do i get some comprehensive musicianship going on in the classroom or anything like that like you know the, the kids literally have to know scale degrees they have to know chord structure triads yeah. um, i think to get those things done so let's say somebody is um not even a new person let's just say somebody's having intonation issues with their band mm -hmm. and they and they just say listen i just want to start fresh what are some tools um, maybe methods that you would recommend that they just right off the bat 
go with? I mean, are you a, a use a tuner type of guy? Are you, uh, you know, drone pitches, listening to those beats, tuning with each other? Other, I, I know you mentioned um, Cliff Colnott's, you know, mm-hmm. method there. Is that something they can find online? Uh, I don't know if this hand, if that hand, that, that session was a while ago. Okay. Um, what, so the, the, the tools I use, I, I do use a handheld tuner. It's more, it's more of, of just a double check at, at, at instance is almost like a worst case. Like if I okay. just can't get it, if it just won't work, all right, let's check it with a tuner and let's make sure, um, <clears throat> we don't really tune at all at the beginning of rehearsal. We go, we, we go through a routine, um, part of our routine is me spot checking a section that may feel really, really out of whack. Okay. Um, so as, as we're, we're kind of going through the routine and we pass the concert F around, if the oboes sound really out of whack, I'll check the two oboes. I will, but I won't necessarily, I'm not certainly not checking every single kid. Um, or, you know, and then next, so especially at the beginning of the year, it's like which section sounds the most out of doubt, most out of tune. And then I'll spot check them. And over time, in theory, they're not the most out of tune the next day. And you can catch a different section um, as well. We do we do do a lot of tuning drone work. Okay. Um, <clears throat> a lot of tuning drone work. Um, and the kids really don't, the kids don't like it at all. Um, but my joke is, well, if you don't like it, then you got to play more in tune and yeah. <laughs> just kind of go from there. Um, but I, I think for, for the kids, that's been the the easiest way to get them to kind of hear to hear it and especially that just intonation because then it's not really theoretical it's not oh i've got the third of the chord i got to play lower it's like that note sounds too high i got to bring it down to make Mm -hmm. it sound right um and so it's more of a, a practical application of that just intonation um and then from there it's just you know it's just me being insistent upon it and it's me being a good teacher and and treating, you know, treating an out of tune note like it's a wrong note, yeah. you know, and so, and in fact, I'm sometimes I'm more, more likely to stop and work on something if it's out of tune than if, if it is a wrong note, because if it's a wrong note, then the kids can oftentimes, Easy fix. they yeah. fix it on their own, um, in theory. Um, and then, but the, the pitch stuff is, is really being insistent upon it and making sure that, that they don't get used to that sound, that they don't get comfortable with it sounding out of tune. So let's talk about routine then with your rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so two-part question. I think number mm-hmm. one, what would your typical rehearsal routine be? And then the second part to that would be, does that routine change as the school year goes on? Um, we have a pretty consistent routine um, that develops from when they're in fourth grade until they're in our, our top ensemble. So it really starts with with that Remington study we were talking about. We do that pretty much every day without fail um where um so concert f to concert e alternating between woodwinds and brass so the we the way we start every rehearsal is just with the concert f or whatever key we're in so the beginning of the year it'll be concert f um so i give a I give a downbeat even before i say even good morning to everybody i give the downbeat they play the concert f we listen we usually play it again if it didn't quite sound the way we wanted to sound or if the entrance wasn't together um, and then, and then we go through the, the, the pivot scale with the, the wood woodwinds playing F to E and then the brass echoing them on their mouthpiece and then F to E flat and the brass echoing them on their mouthpiece, um, all the way through down to the perfect fifth F to B flat. And then we repeat it again with the brass playing. Um, and then from there, we, we generally speaking, the rest of it is kind of a mix and match at the beginning of the year. We'll kind of go through all the steps and then, 
um, as we get further along the year, we'll, I'll spot check stuff. Or if I know there's something we need to be addressing that I'm not happy with in the repertoire, we'll spend a little bit more time on it in the in the the warm up routine. Um, but we'll we'll pass we'll pass the concert pitch that we're working on. We'll pass the concert F, and that's where I'll spot check pitch um, and check for blend of the individual sections as well and balance of the individual sections. Um, we have a, kind of an interval exercise that we'll do. Um, that, um, if, if anybody's heard Brian Covey's, uh, Lockport band play in concert, they usually do this interval where the band will play concert F and the woodwinds will march up to the major third and that'll lock in and then they'll do it again. And then they'll march up to the fourth and then up to the fifth, um, types of thing. So we have an exercise that's similar to that in the key that we're, that we're preparing major and minor, um, uh, scale exercise, which is really just the, the major scale followed by arpeggio with some chords that follow it. Um, and then a corral in the key, whatever key we're working on, we'll spend a considerable amount of time in the corral. And so it's really just kind of about, you know, where we are in the year and what the needs are. So I'm always kind of trying to think long term. So the beginning of the year, especially we spend a lot of time. We have only rehearsed for 33 minutes each morning. So that the early rehearsals will spend 20 plus minutes working on that, that routine and working on our sound concept of sound, concept of tone, concept of pitch, blend, balance, all those things. Um, and spend much less time on the actual repertoire. And that that amount of time starts to kind of diminish as the year goes on. Um, so I hate to say it kind of depends, but it kind of depends. So, and then we'll rotate through as, uh, just uh, major and minor keys, really kind of based on how I feel. We'll spend a long time on concert F at the beginning of the year. But once that gets pretty comfortable, that transfers pretty well to the other keys. Um, and we'll go, you know, I try to... I try to keep myself honest too and making sure I'm actually hitting some of the less comfortable keys too and hitting C and mm -hmm. hitting A minor especially which I tend to avoid that one um, just so that the kids are experienced to it and, and then if there's something in the repertoire that they're struggling with if we're playing something in D flat major if we're playing something in D major or playing something um, that we're not comfortable with we'll switch to that key even if it's just for the short term um, and we'll spend a couple weeks and we'll do that that Remington exercise in that key. We'll do a corral in that key. We'll do, we'll do everything in that key. Um, we did a uh, Cajun folk songs this year. Um, and that first, that first movement is in D, um, Dorian. And so we did, we did our exercises in Dorian. We didn't, we actually, actually picked a corral and just changed the key signature to make it work in Dorian. It sounded kind of funky, but we did a lot of scale exercises and the scale and canon exercise in Dorian so they can kind of hear those chords as they go through and get used to them. Okay. So, so really kind of key-based. Key you know, I, I think technique-wise, direct it's kind of an intrinsic thing. If if you're playing something with nasty technique that's yeah. in E major, you know, directors, the first thing they'll do is pull out that e, e major scale and they'll just beat that to death with the kids. But it's the same thing for pitch. If the kids are having trouble playing in tune in E major, they need to do corrals and they need to get used to it. They need to mm -hmm. play against, they need to play the scale against the drone. They need to play um, corrals in E major. They need to do the same exercises that you do in whatever key you do them in, in that new key. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of the same thing, but for for pitch instead of for sure. technique. Sure. So you so you mentioned you have 33 minutes a day for rehearsal. Right. That, that's 33, 33 minutes in the morning. We do okay. have one after school rehearsal that's an hour and a half. Okay. On Tuesdays, and uh, you know, because I just I just hear that, and it's funny because I know there's some programs that have 45 minutes, some mm -hmm. that have 50, some that have 20 
minutes. Um, so let's get, uh, I don't want to say a little controversial right now, but let's say somebody comes up to you and says, but I, I can't do this. I only have 30 minutes in a day and I can't have my kids come in after school. What are your, what are your thoughts? Well, did I hit a nerve? No, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't hit a nerve. It's just, you know, it's, it's some of those things are kind of tough to answer. Sure. Sure. Because I, so I'm, I guess like the hypothetical questions, I'm not so sure. I'm not always so sure how I'll, I'll react in a certain situation. Um, and I think just kind of as, as people, we tend to be like understanding, we smile and we say we're understanding, but it kind of in the back of my head, the question I keep that, that pops up to me is like, all right, if William Ravelli was in that situation, what would they do? You know, if John Painter was in that situation, what would they do? And they'd figure some, either they'd figure some way to make it work or they'd figure some way to get it changed. Um, and one of the things that I think is really important, especially when you're asking for more, um, whether that be more money or more rehearsal time is to make sure that you're maximizing what you already have. Um, and so that the need for more is clearly evident to the, the people who make those decisions. Um, and so when we, you know, when I, so when I started, um, I kept the rehearsal schedule exactly the same. It was Tuesday, Thursday, Friday mornings for, um, 28 minutes. It was 7:25 to 7:53, um, and then Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday afternoon, we went from 2:10 to 3 o'clock, um, and then with sectionals during the day on Wednesdays. And you know, just kind of just maximizing that time and and just you know trying to get as much done with that time and just using it efficiently and to the best of our ability, so that it really became clear that if we were going to meet our goals of and the vision of what we had for the program, that we needed more rehearsal time in order to be able to accomplish that. Um, and so that when I went, actually that first time I didn't ask permission, I just added the rehearsal. But, um, but when I went later and said, Hey, we need more rehearsal time. Here's some options that would work. They, they knew that what they were doing is, 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 is helping the program, supporting the program and giving us something that we desperately needed, which was, sure. was more time to, to do what we needed to do. I've always heard that too, that administrators, they don't like problems, but they do like potential solutions. Oh, absolutely. And I, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, maybe I don't always go <laughs> with solutions, but they also like options. They, they like, all right, this is, you know, um, here's the problem. Here are three potential solutions. And for one of them, I always, I typically, unless it's so bad that I can't, um, one of the options is just keep it the same. Mm -hmm. This is, this is what it would look like if we didn't make a change. Um, this is what it would look like if we did make this change. Um, and from there, the decision is usually pretty easy. Um, especially if funding is not involved, if there's sure. no, if there's no other cost to the district or to the school, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's just, it's really, it's really easy to make excuses. And I think even subconsciously, um, we, we make some of those excuses subconsciously and we have some assumptions that just may not be true, but we just assume them, you know, sometimes subconsciously, we, we assume that we won't get more money from the administration if we ask for it. We assume that we can't get more rehearsal time. We assume that we can't have rehearsals after school. 
Um, and I, th- I think one of our challenges is, is to, uh, to test those assumptions every once in a while. Um, they might be true, but they might be wrong. Mm-hmm. There might be kids just dying to come in to, to get more help. And you just don't know until you try. So I'm looking at, again, your, your, uh, your resume, your bio here, and it says that you've taught at Northwestern, with the University Basketball Band, the uh, Jazz Lab Band. Um, any other parts at Northwestern that you were involved with uh, in those collegiate were, teaching? Yeah, no, those were part, those were part of my assistantship. Okay. So, so part of my, my assistantship um, was when I was getting my master's is, is I did the basketball band there for two years. Okay. And I did the Jazz Lab Band my second year. Okay, and then uh, it says director of the Wind Ensemble University uh, University of Chicago. Yeah, I've been Sorry. doing that for eight years now. Okay. I think sounds about right. So, um, and I and I say this again from a standpoint. This is not my opinion, but maybe some others uh, people's opinion on this. Are you a band director or are you a middle school band director? <laughs> That's funny. I actually, you know what? I actually kind of think of myself as a middle school band director. Okay. I, don't, I don't know what that means. I don't really think it means anything. But I, that's. I don't know. I guess if I think of myself and identify as myself, I kind of yeah, feel yeah. like I kind of feel like a middle school guy. But I, I, I kind of think I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm a musician. Um, I don't. I tell this to people all the time. There's not much different in those two jobs in terms of teaching the middle school kids and teaching the collegiate kids. What's what's different is what's a little bit different. Certainly, is different is how I prepare for those rehearsals. Um, but in terms of the actual teaching, it's kind of all the same. It's just the depth at which you're able to go to, um, with the middle school kids versus the, the collegiate kids for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I asked that cause I've had some, some friends of mine that have gone for high school jobs, didn't get them. And then they felt that they were banished to teaching middle school. Okay. You know, and, and that's where me, and, and maybe it's easy for me to say I'm teaching high school, but I, I just never saw it that way i saw it as you're a you're a band director obviously there's there's differences of um developmental levels ages and and, and things like that um but it was it was interesting because i never heard the opposite i never heard some middle school band directors that ended up teaching high school and didn't like it you know they didn't see it necessarily as a negative thing right and maybe i just don't talk to a lot of people i don't know you know so it was just a just something i wanted to you know, ask if, if you've ever I've heard never, that, felt I've, that. I've never, never once even felt it. And I've certainly never felt it from colleagues. Sure. And I've certainly never felt it from a high school band director. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, maybe it's just my obliviousness to, Oh, it to, could be a really everything. stupid question. For no, me but too, I don't, but, but I, but I, I mean, I, I don't know. The job, the jobs are the same. They are different, but mm-hmm. they're the same. Um, and the demands, the demands are different. And then the stuff is, is, you know, there's, I'm sure there's some ways that my job is way more demanding than yours. And I know for sure there's ways that your job is way more demanding than mine, particularly in terms of nights and weekends. Um, and, but I don't know. I think some of it might just be even the visibility of the programs. I mean, the, the high school program, like you said, is way more visible in the community. I mean, just from playing at football games mm-hmm. and basketball games and all that stuff, stuff too. But I, I've never, I've never really thought of it in that way. Um, and I've never really been trying to think of, of what I'm even trying to say, but just, it's just, I mean, 
I've never really differentiated it that much in my mind. Sure. Um, particularly with, with middle school to high school. I think elementary band, that's way different. I think that's way different um, in terms of of what you're trying to accomplish, what you're trying to, to, to do with the, the students and trying to get them to, to accomplish by the end of the year. What are you trying to get them to well, accomplish? With my fourth with my fourth graders, my number one goal is to get them to sign up for band in fifth grade. You okay. know, and kind of in fifth grade, that's my number one goal. I mean, really, honestly, that's the primary thing is just I can't, you know, I can't teach them if they're not there. Um, and it's just trying to get them to, to love it, to love music, to love their instrument, and to have it develop into part of their identity, really, over time. Um, and all again, within the concept of still teaching them how to play with a good sound and teaching them how to read music and trying to teach them how to read rhythms and, and develop the skills that they need in order to be successful in the middle school program. Um, but it's, it's not, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It's not the same. I don't, I don't know if I can describe it a hundred percent, um, in terms of, of what what the rehearsals look like they're still structured they're still i don't know i've, I've delved down a path that i don't know if i'm gonna be able to finish the <laughs> sentence but uh but i it's it's i think i think that the the teaching to me is way different from fourth grade to university of chicago than it is from middle school okay to university of chicago um Although, and I say this all the time, you know, the University of Chicago, it's a non-music, all those, all the students that are in that group, it's a non-music major band. Um, that's, it's a great school. They're incredibly smart. Um, and I think for most of those kids, at some point, they made a decision in their life as to whether they're going to major in music or whether they're going to major in something else. Sure. And, and the deciding to major in something else, um, brought them to University of Chicago in terms of performance. The University of Chicago doesn't have a performance degree. They have a wonderful, uh, school, uh, department of music mm-hmm. and, and music majors and, and, and the academics. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe I asked that question too about middle school to high school, just because sometimes you'll see a professional development, um, settings. You'll see how to so-and-so with your middle school band, how to so-and-so with your high school band. Yeah. I look at some teacher training programs. They have middle school methods class. They have high school methods classes. So I think maybe that's where I was coming okay. from with that. Um, well to finish, to finish my thought. Oh, sure, the, sure. So I, what I say is the, the, uh, my University of Chicago students are what I really want my fourth graders to become. Okay. Those are the, they're the students that even though they're not majoring in music, they're not majoring in performance, they love it. And they love it so much that they sign up for band at the University of Chicago and they want to, you know, keep playing good music and playing their instrument um, and that type of stuff. Um, in terms of middle school, in terms of the pedagogy, I don't think there's any different. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, and um, in terms of, of, I don't rehearse my middle school group any differently than I rehearsed my university of Chicago group. Um, and if, if I were doing a high school, I don't, I don't think I would do much different either. I think the way I rehearse is the way I rehearse. Um, and the things that I focus on are the things that I focus on. And it may, it may be to more of a depth with some of the older students because they're capable of it. Um, and because they retain things a little bit better than some of the younger students do. We're able to get a little bit further along, um, but in terms of the way, I, in terms of the way I approach the rehearsal, in terms of the way I actually rehearse or even conduct, I don't. There's not. 
there's certainly no conscious change. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's a change, it's subconscious. Um, what's really different is the way I prepare. Um, whereas with the university group, I really prepare, I score study the way you're supposed to score study. And I'm really trying to get a mental image of what I want the final product to sound like. Um, and I'm really digging into the scores as deeply as I can to understand the music so that I can help the, the students understand it in the same way where at the middle school, I do a lot more planning of rehearsal and listening to recordings and taking notes and making fix it sheets and making checklists. Um, and more, it feels like more of a, a preparation for rehearsal than it is for then like score study mm-hmm. per se, although it's all the same, but sure, sure. It's, it's kind of a different, I certainly look at it a little bit differently when I sit down to prepare, prepare for my McCracken rehearsal. It's way different than when I sit down to prepare for my university of Chicago rehearsal. Yeah. So, uh, we, we have something in common. We have four kids Yes. and we, we talked a little earlier how you, you can't, you can't go out to eat. <laughs> um, you can't do anything that costs money cause it costs too much money then. And, um, over, um, spring break last year we went to florida but you know since we have four kids and we were going with uh, other family members too we drove down okay it was real fun <laughs> um but i brought a couple books with and one that i read was the uh john painter book that's which, a great book yeah well I love you're in it yeah. you know so can you tell me a little bit about john painter he's one of those those giants in the profession he is he's passed on of course but uh, we always um, you know, or, or as band directors are still influenced by people and inspired yeah. by people. And you're a, you're a guy that, you know, knew him. Yeah, I, I, I studied with Mr. Painter um, and he passed away my last year, the, my last year at Northwestern. Um, he was retiring at the end of the year and he, he passed away in, in February of that year. Um, he was, well, if you read that book, you kind of get a sense of, how big a personality he was and how, how a big of an influence um, he was not only on that school, but in the Big Ten and really the entire profession. Um, and he was every bit of that and more. Um, and for me, his influence really comes, you know, what I think about in terms of how he influenced really kind of all, a lot of us was just through his expectation and when his demand that you are your best at every single moment. Um, and that really, it's, it's, that really rubs off on you, especially when he's doing the same thing to himself and really kind of expecting the best out of himself, um, at every moment in terms of his conducting, in terms of his teaching and, and the way he prepared for his rehearsals. Um, so, you know, I, and I had, um, had some opportunities to work. I did, I took a, an arranging independent study with him, um, with Mr. Painter and, uh, I don't know. It was just a remarkable influence, um, musically and personally. And, uh, and I think when you have somebody like that, you'd kind of want to make them proud. And I, it's, you know, selfishly, I kind of wish he was still around so he could see some of the things that, that we've been able to do. Cause I, I would think and I'd hope he'd be really proud. Um, but, uh, it's funny you say that not, not to make this like my therapy session or anything, but walking in here every day and I don't share this with many people, but like, there's this drive, make the band as best as possible do do all these things, you know, help serve the community. Um, but there is a big 
big part that's always here that, yes, you want to make your teacher proud. Yeah, you, I mean, you do. You yeah. want to make your mentors proud. And it's it's kind of funny when you like, yeah, actually yeah, think yeah. about it. But I, at least for me, that's true. I've got a big, giant poster of Mr. Painter um, in my office. And, uh, yeah, just, just a little bit of reminder. Yeah. Well, if anyone's interested in that book, um, it is called Whatsoever Things, The Life and Teachings of John P. Painter, conceived and edited by Mark Campos, uh, Campos, Camphaus, sorry, forward by Ray Kramer. And um, it really is a fantastic book. It's a great read, too, because yeah. it's it's part biography, and then there's a, a lot of influential people, including yourself, that have chapters on their um uh, experience with John Painter. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, we can edit this out if it's wrong. I think Dean Sales wrote a chapter too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was a Joliet band director. I Correct. He was and over yeah. at Joliet West. Yeah. And um, yeah, still around even, playing oboe. Even writing that book was really. Kind of, I I um I wasn't on the original panel to to write. Uh, Mark Kelly was going to write a chapter, but he got ill, and um, they were looking for another author. Mm-hmm. And this was right around the time that I had led. Um, uh, getting John Painter into the National Band Association Hall of Fame. He was not a member of the Hall of Fame um, yet, and it was like 20, I don't know, I don't even remember the dates anymore, I think 2012, 2013, sure. something like that. And Mr. Painter wasn't a member of the Hall of Fame, mostly, I think, because he wasn't eligible yet. He wasn't to the age yet when he when he passed away, and then time passed, and all of a sudden, you know, and so I led an effort to get him, to get him in there and to get him enshrined in the Hall of Fame. And this kind of all all happened and so when there was an opening on the writing the writing panel um they were nice enough to ask me sure which was which was really kind of cool literature wise yeah close out here in a little bit but um i'm at a party recently and matt bufus from evanston township is at this party and i started talking with him about literature that's a good friend yeah and (laughs) and uh, i hope he doesn't mind me saying this but i said do you have any ideas about literature and and Matt pulls out a, a three-page typed list out of his pocket at that point and says, well, I'm thinking of these pieces. <laughs> and then as soon as I left that party, I told my wife, I'm like, I got to get to work. This guy's got typed lists. And I'm just going, uh. So what um, what are some literature ideas that you have for the uh, the Kraken band in the, in the near future? Oh, in the near future, I am terrible picking <laughs> literature it's you know it's 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 the most important thing we do i i truly i just truly truly believe it and i agonize over it but i also agonize over it to the point that it takes a lot of time and i can't ever really decide on something um oftentimes oftentimes my first idea is what i eventually come back to after taking like several rounds through different sure. stuff um but uh, not exactly the question you asked. One of the, the thing I really kind of look for, I look for pieces where the the musical difficulty um, meets or exceeds the technical difficulty, where that's really the first thing I kind of look at. Um, this is particularly with the top group I'm talking about, mm-hmm. um, where with some of the younger groups, I may be a little bit more inclined to find pieces that are guided a little bit more towards things I want them to learn. Um, but with the, the top group, I'm really trying to find pieces where the... where even if it's even if it's really technically difficult, that the musical the musical difficulty meets and exceeds that meets or exceeds that preferably exceeds that, because um, we all kind of know those pieces that are grade four technically, but are grade two musically and they're really pretty shallow. Um, 
And I think hopefully we know some pieces too that are grade two technically, but might be a grade five musically. And those are really kind of kind of the the gems of the repertoire. So just trying to find those um, types of things. The only thing um, the only thing we were part of a consortium. Actually, we're part of a lot of consortiums right now. But but one of the consortiums that was pieces that was delivered about a year ago uh, was a trombone was a trombone piece um trombone solo and with for a kind of a grade three band so we're gonna i know we're gonna premiere our consortium premiere um probably at the at ima at the all-state conference all right. um this january um that's not 100 percent set um uh uh i, I don't want to mess up his name a uh, viet kong is the the composer okay um and uh tim smith who's a trombonist in the buffalo philharmonic is going to solo with us he's the key tim led the consortium it's a bunch of middle school bands in new york and then us um uh who were in the consortium so he's going to solo with us it's it's a great piece i'm really looking forward to it so right now that's the only thing that's kind of blocked out in our, our programming um and so once i kind of get that that state conference program figured out i'll be able to kind of spread out from there from to the beginning of the year to what we need to do in order to get prepared for that um and then from there where i'll want to bring the kids to the end of the year all right um but um <clears throat> I wish I was better with this, but I, I, part of, part of it is just not, not really being able to decide until I actually hear the kids. I, I mean, I think I know how the band's going to be. I, th- I think I know which sections are going to be strong, which sections are going to be weak, um, and what we're going to need to do to, um, first develop those weak sections and then later kind of hide them, um, and then show off our strengths as well. Um, but until I actually have them in front of me and really have a chance to hear it and work with them and, and see what I think their potential is going to be, it's kind of hard to really kind of firmly decide, you know, what we're going to do. I have no idea. Um, in the fall, I can tell you that in the fall, traditionally what I like to do is I like to program for our weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So if I have a really young section later, that kid's getting a solo, you know, if I have a section, that I know is going to be a struggle. I'm going to find something, even if it's just eight measures that they are, the spotlight is going to be on them and they're going to have to really work hard and rise to the occasion. Um, and then for the spring, I try hard. I tried to, to, to program first strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how I approach every single year is, is, is thinking a lot about the weaknesses in the fall. And then that kind of shifts to the strengths. And usually if I play it right, whatever was weak will be a strength that following year. Mm-hmm. If I do my job. So you're an Illinois public school teacher, which means you're eligible. You've te- 22 years been teaching. So you've got about 45 more years before <laughs> you can retire full pension, right? Uh, <laughs> not, not, almost. 12 almost. more years. <laughs> so what is left then on the, the band director slash teacher bucket list for you? It's to kind of, I, I don't know. It's for at least in terms of like vision for the program. Um, all right. In terms of goals, I, I, there's some things I'd love to do again. Mm-hmm. You know, I the mid performing at Midwest was was two really fantastic highlights. You know, I I I, I mean, I'd love I'd love to perform there several more times. I'd love to. I think I have, if the math works out, I could do it three more times if we get lucky. Okay. You know, and that would be the most that I. I think that would be the most, certainly out of middle school bands. There might be a high school band that's performed five. Sure. Um, part, part, there's, there's a couple of things I'm thinking, especially since I'm not thinking about retirement is how can this outlive me? 
for sure. How can, how can I, cause I think we've built something pretty nice and pretty special and something, um, important and vitally important to our school and to the kids that come through that school. Um, and you know how, when that, when 12 years happens and, and I turn in my keys, it needs to be in a position where it can keep going. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I, I, I mean, I, I haven't put a lot of thought into it, but I have been thinking about how can this, how can I set this up for the next guy and how can I set this up or gal and set this up so that, so that it continues to be successful. And so, and so that, the next person who comes in is able to instill their vision into the program and do the things that they want to do with the program to, to give a wonderful experience to the the students and have the same sort of flexibility and ability to do those things that I did when I came in. Mm -hmm. Um, If that may, I, if that, if that makes sense. And again, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I, I put enough thought about into that to answer that hundred um, percent. But you're, you're, I mean, the question, especially then as a middle school band director, you're kind of like, what's next? Yeah. When you've, when you've, when you've done these things, cause there's not, there's not a lot left mm-hmm. um, in terms of, of things that we, we could do. Um, and so really it's about developing experiences for the kids and, and, and those and those types of things that are of course interesting to me because because if if i'm enthusiastic about it the kids will definitely be enthusiastic but what what experiences can we do for the for the kids that would would have value um and and some of those you know some of those are doing things that we've done already like you know performing at the this will be our fourth performance at the all-state at the all-state conference but a new set of kids it's a completely different set of kids and so it's not new to me but this is i know what a wonderful experience it is going to be for them and so Mm -hmm. for that it's it's important it's important for them um you know the same the same thing for you know you know we yeah we kind of do the same thing every year you know in terms of you know applying for super state and hopefully getting invited to go to super state um and but you, it's a different set of kids rotating mm-hmm. through, and and I I know how important it is. I know how much they'll love it. I know how much they'll get out of it and learn from it. And so, um, and for me, it's it's trying to find maybe different ways to change. You know, maybe a program a little bit differently, or maybe um, we prepare a little bit differently in terms of the types of guests we bring in, um, or like like for the like for or for commissions maybe trying to try to work a little bit harder to make sure that if we do a commission that we get the composer in to work with the kids and getting some different experiences for me as well mm-hmm. as for as for the students yeah but, oh, and it's probably a hard question to ask when you know as you mentioned before you're trying to maximize and be as efficient as possible with your time yeah you know so if you're in the moment and you know not um you know, if you're having foresight to what you want to do, but also just basically saying, no, right now, this is the most important thing I'm doing yeah. right now is, is, is focusing well, on this. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're trying, we, we applied to Midwest again last year and we weren't invited and, and the kids worked really hard, but tape wasn't good enough. And sure. so we're going to work, work even harder this time around. We got a, a big percentage of the group coming back. So now they, mm-hmm. they kind of know what to expect and they know where the, I think, I think they have a better sense of where the line might be. Um, and so, you know, I, at least in the short term, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, to get invited to do that again. Um, but you know, mostly it's just trying to, trying to maintain it's, it's, 
you know, I, I, I heard it, especially the first time when we were lucky enough to get invited to Midwest that you know, it's easier to build the program than it is to maintain it. Okay. <laughs> I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's, it, it can be really easy. Um, that just frightened me that you said that we got an old program, <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're, you're still building You're you're, you're in your vision and your desires for what you want the program to become and always like, building. Yeah. Always building. And I think I th- I think that's part of it in terms of maintaining is you're not really maintaining you have to keep you're just you have to continue to build even when you quote unquote have achieved it or gotten mm-hmm. there or whatever that means um, is you 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 still have to have a vision and you still have to have have an idea of what you want the program to become so you're building sure. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for coming out today. Appreciate you driving out. No and um, just to, you know, advertise for, for you and your band a little bit more here, but um, great resource out there is is actually your middle school band's website. Oh, thanks. And um, is it McCrackenBands.com. McCrackenBand.com. And um, and I say a great resource, not just to to learn about uh, Chip and the McCracken Band, but uh, you've got a lot of uh, materials that are up there that look like they're free for download. Yeah, absolutely. Everything that's on there is free for download. And a lot of my um, presentations and sessions that I've given, the outlines are up and the handouts are up and all our past programs, repertoire lists. Um, there's a lot of stuff on there. Most of it is from before I had kids, um, <laughs> when uh, when all that stuff was written up and put it up, and it's there's been a little bit of a slowdown in terms of updates. Sure, but, sure. Uh, but uh, hopefully it's valuable to anybody who runs across it and can you know, the, hopefully the materials help. They're the things we use, so they're just up there for other people who might want to use them. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Chip. You're welcome. <laughs>